0: Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Joe Jackson. He's the author of one novel and six works of nonfiction. His book, The Thief at the End of the World, Rubber, Power, and the Seeds of Empire was named one of Time Magazine's top 10 nonfiction books of 2008. His newest book, Black Elk, The Life of an American Visionary, is a powerful biography of the Lakota holy man that reads really more like a novel. A review of the book appears in the November-December 2016 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Joe Jackson, welcome to Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: You, You really do have a compelling writing style. I mean, the book is large. But it isn't – I mean, I know it's a biography, but you really write it – it's sort of a – I mean, sort of the, the narrative style is so strong. It's, it's really more of a novel, though I know I'm actually reading the actual history. It was very compelling. What, what I know about Black Elk comes from John Nehart's 1932 book called Black Elk Speaks, which has sort of become a New Age classic in American spirituality. Did did you first hear of him through that book or what, what's your, how did you come to Black Elk?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I was, um, I'm 61. So I was, I was growing up at that time when, um, both Black Elk Speaks and Bury My Heart and Wounded Knee were two big bestsellers. So, um, and I was taken by it. I mean, you know, I was a, I was a psychology and, and, and English major, but I mean, it's a uh, Black Elk Speaks is a, is, is a beautiful work. It's, it's, just, it's just, you know, heartbreaking. So, um, so um, through- how, how
1: much of it is? I've heard criticisms. I don't want to get lost in, in Black Elk Speaks, but I've heard criticisms that it's not necessarily Black Elk speaking, but more John Nehart speaking. Maybe through Black Elk. Is, that, is, is it an accurate assessment of, or an accurate rendition of, of his teaching? Black Elk's teaching?:
2: I think it's, um, <clears throat> I think it's a, a pretty accurate rendition of his, of his words and his meaning. But Nyhart was a poet, and, um, and he was trying to um, and he was trying to write poetically in what he thought was the, um, the sewer Lakota vernacular um it came the book came from like um thirty hours of interviews in may of nineteen thirty one stretched over over weeks and there is a book that's a transcript of the uh of the interviews called um it's by Raymond DeMalley, an anthropologist out of uh, University of Indiana i think it is and um and he transcribed all of the notebooks and and the meaning and um and the narrative are accurate, but it's an oral narrative, and so there's a lot of and it. it was translated. You know, Nyhart would ask um, Black Elk a question. Black Elk's son, who could speak English, would translate it for his dad, and they would go back and forth. And so there's a lot of repetition, and there's a lot of back and forth, and it would never have um, it would have never have garnered the kind of literary reputation that. Um, that Black Elk Speaks has, because you know, it's more of a in that form. It has more anthropological merit. Mm.
1: And and you so so you read Black Elk Speaks, and that's what triggered an interest in this.
2: Yeah, my my nonfiction books, even though they um, even though they're often stories of historical people. I mean, I usually am searching for. A narrative that I can hang some sort of um, um, hang some sort of issue on, and my last book was um, about the about the flyers that were involved in the air race that made Lindbergh famous. And what became really interesting about that was that was that America made secular heroes and sec- secular saints out of out of many of them, especially Lindbergh. And the process of that for me was was really interesting. So so I was thinking, well, well, I would be interested for my next book to write about somebody who is an acknowledged holy man. What is the nature of holiness? And I looked around, and you know, I had remembered Black Elk from Black Elk Speaks, and I had heard that the Catholic Church was thinking of um, thinking of making him into a, a, a investigating whether or not they could make him into a saint. <clears throat> and I do remember that during the 60s and 70s and 80s that, um, that several religious commentators had said that Black Elk was the only um, um, r- real American holy man to come out of the 20th century. So I kind of gravitated towards him.
1: So I have a couple of questions based on that. I mean, yeah. your, your sort of your definition of holiness, but we should let our re- listeners know that uh, Black Elk was a um, Lakota Sioux medicine man, right. but in 1904, he's born in 1963. In 1904, he converts. He's 41 years old, if I've got my numbers right. He converts to Catholicism, and that's why the church was interested in making him a uh, right. saint. <laughs> it's not like they just were looking for, for a Native American and, yeah. and uh, going to uh, canonize him. No, this, this was someone who was who became a Catholic, and I want right. to hear and, about that too. Yeah,
2: and uh, according to the Jesuits, he was so good as a lay preacher that he um, converted uh, four hundred Native Americans across the United States to, Catholic, to Catholicism, which was like phenomenal for the time. Um, so. And for about ten years, he was a very, very, very strong Catholic. He may have still been practicing in uh, Native medicine, but he was he was n- apparently no longer participating in um, um, the traditional religious ways. <clears throat> but after about ten years of that, um, his con- his people on the reservation continued to die, and he kind of drifted into a um, interesting kind of ecu- ecumenical. Uh, mode of mode of thought where he was both a traditional medicine man and a um, and a, and the Catholic although he kept his uh, traditional beliefs secret for the longest time because the church wouldn't have approved no and they didn't improve when black elk came <clears throat> black elk speaks came out I mean they jumped all over him he um, there was a lot of pressure from the um From the Jesuits on the reservation to uh, for him to renounce what he had said in um, uh Blackout Speaks. And one thing you have to realize, one thing that's really interesting, I mean, all of the commentary that I had read um back when I first read Blackout Speaks, I mean, it it sounds as if the Catholics on the reservation at that time that they were monolithic, that they were all opposed to blackout. But actually there were um um there were uh, a small minority of Jesuits who could see what he was doing, and even though they disapproved of his um, of his still being a traditional medicine man, they did not think he was going to hell, and they did not persecute him. So, what was he trying to do? Blend the two traditions? He was trying to blend the tra- t- <clears throat> two traditions because um, he he came to the he came to the realizations. I would say around the 1920s that one reason his people were dying was because they no longer had an identity. Um, for the longest time, the American government and the church had had um, been, had embarked upon a program where the only, their words were the only way to save the Indian is to kill the Indian inside, and that meant just um, wiping out their their, their tribal identity and their old traditional beliefs, and it just turned um, it turned the Sioux into a despairing people.
1: It's interesting though that that uh, the cultural, I mean, I mean they're trying to wipe out their culture, and then they're replacing it with Catholicism at a time when you know Christianity was Protestantism and Catholicism right. was very under You know, people were very suspicious of Catholicism and and. Uh,
2: well, that's I mean, a good. Que- that's a that's a good question. But but uh, um, you, you kind of have to realize that when the reservation system um, started, that the reservations were um, were pretty pretty much put under the control of um, of various religions in the United States. So for the Sioux, the Sioux had always had um, had always liked the had liked the Jesuits for the longest time, and at first. Um, there were some protestant religions there but this uh, the catholics were finally allowed in and the catholics were very strong in in um all of these 6 Sioux reservations in the plain states but other reservations out west across the united states would have <clears throat> you know would have quakers they would have methodists they would have they would have um uh, baptists i mean it, it it changed from place to place so um the pressure but in many ways the pressure from western religion to drop um to drop your old indian beliefs was um was pretty much across the board and then so,
1: so that's interesting especially when when you look at his life and i do want to get to his vision in a moment but i guess one more question about his life because he ends up i mean he's his cousin is crazy horse he's present at wounded knee right. um he's I mean, he's an authentic uh, you know, Native American uh, medicine man steeped in that culture. And yet, not putting aside the Catholicism of, of 1904, he's also the, oh, I don't know what you call it. I'm looking for a disparaging term, uh, sort of the performing Indian in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. I mean, he's, they they turn you know, the, the whole Wild West show movement if you can call it that, turned Native American culture into uh, an entertainment for Europeans and, and others. So, he, I mean, I mean what, what do we make of his wrestling with his identity?
2: Well, I think, <clears throat> I think what happened is when he was, uh, and this is pretty much the thesis of my book, was that, was that when he, he had his vision when he was age nine, and he was convinced that his vision, a very elaborate um, vision, um, that he had during an 11-day coma, that the gods had sent him this vision in order for him to save his threatened people.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24-26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: And the rest of his life was, but the vision, the way he told it was very much um, a puzzle box. I mean you know many visions, very uh, often are are hard to, are hard to translate, hard to comprehend. Um, Revelations is a good example. Um, What does it all mean? How does it all fit together? And he didn't always know how this this huge vision of his fit together and so um, every decade he would take a different route to try to find the way to unlock his vision And to save his people, and so, and after his, um, after he turned into adult, um, before Wounded Knee um, in the eighteen eighties, he was a medicine man. But his people continued to die, so he he thought to himself, "I'm going to, to the whites are the most powerful people in the United States. I'm going to learn the power of the whites." And so he joined the Buffalo Bill Circus to go to England, which was the most powerful nation. in the white world at that time, to learn the secret of the whites, he went there and he discovered that there was no, that they had no secret. They had no secret that at least would um, translate back to the Sioux. So he came back just in time for the ghost dance, and he joined the ghost dance, thinking, "Well, maybe this will translate my my vision to me." And of course, the ghost dance led to Wounded Knee, which was just a you know, which was a tragic disaster. And he held on as a medicine man for another ten years until 1904, when he was in despair. And that's when he picked up on um, Catholicism, and he stayed with that for about ten, fifteen years exclusively. And his people continued to die, and they continued to wane. And he, um, and then he went back to, um, uh, he he tried to find a path that combined the two religions. But he also believed that he had to. Preserve the traditional old ways by that time by that time he was about in his 60s and he um, he had come to believe that the only way to save his people was for them to regain their old identity, which was basically their old religion so every ten years he takes a different route to try to translate this puzzle box of box of a vision that he has
1: the vision is i mean I, I love the word puzzle box because the vision is engaging and yet inscrutable it's just like yeah. what is this thing i i, I wasn't uh, surprised to learn that that from the book that carl jung was was very interested in it and tried to get black elk speaks translated into german oh yeah which i guess he he didn't succeed but he, he's trying to unpack it well he it did
2: actually speeches. he didn't get it he didn't get it um he didn't get it translated into german b- before the war the, the it, it looks like he first ran across black elk speaks when he was in um, giving a um... a series of lectures at Yale in either 1930s or 1939 on religion and psychology and um... somebody handed him the book and he took it back to Germany no he took it back to Switzerland and he tried to get it published in um, a German press but then the war intervened and then once the war was over he um... he kept at it again and in 1955 he actually Succeeded in getting it published um, um, under the title "Ich of Mein Folk," which is um, "I Call My My People," and then American scholars, you know, who were enamored with with Yoon, they kind of noticed what was in their own backyard, and 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 then Black Elk Speaks was reissued in 1961.
1: So and, and then you're you're catching up with him now, decades later, and and bringing out this amazing biography. What did I mean, I mean? It seems to me, and, and I hope I'm wrong, but you'll I'm asking you the people never stopped dying. I mean, it's not like he actually cracked the vision and, and found a way to to you know reinvigorate
2: his people, or, or is that not true? I think that was true um, during his own lifetime, which which is which is really very sad, isn't it? But um, but I do believe when I went to the when I went to Pine Ridge in um, in uh, 2014, I think it was 2013. Um, I talked to, to, to several people there on the reservation, and they said that um, that first off, you know, in the public schools there uh, on the reservation, that Black Elk Speaks is the um, is the one book that they can never keep in stock because all of their, um, all of their their students are 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 borrowing them and keeping them, um, and they said that um, they said that questions of identity is is almost an existential matter on the uh, reservation because they have a lot of teenage suicides or suicide attempts, but at the same time they have a, a reemergence. Of the old religious ways, such as there are, um, when I was there, which was a week before Pow Wow week, there were um, um, old sun dances, and we're not talking the sun dances for the tourists. We're talking private sun dances where there's the piercings and the kind of um, the kind of um, tortured endurance that the um, Lakota saw as part of their heritage and that was they saw that as a good thing they saw that as a um as a hope for the resurgence of the identity of their people
1: Hmm. so what's your own personal sense of that that uh going back to the old ways is you know after after doing all this research and and seeing what's going on with the uh lakota now you think this is this is the way to do it if they can I mean, I, I'm assuming there's some authenticity to it. They're not simply imitating long dead ancestors.
2: no, um, I think I mean I think to I think to a large extent um, I mean the 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 Sioux were known for the Sioux were known for being tough and they were known for being able to endure privation. and they had a um, they had a Within their religion, they had a kind of long-standing conversation with um, with their God, in which um, in which they realized that the world was um, that you know, the the world could be unforgiving and um, and your own toughness, your own um, ability to endure. Pain and pi- privation was what made you a Sioux. Mm. And, that which doesn't
1: kill you makes you stronger, kinda. Of. Yeah,
2: kind of Nietzsche yeah, right. Nietzsche, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, I don't necessarily think that, you know, back in the eighteen seventies they were reading Nietzsche, but um <laughs> but I mean there is a there is a certain there is a certain element of that within um within Sioux society. And um and so and also, it's a very private religion. I mean, in some ways, a um, an early title of the book was "American Job," because throughout, um, um, Black Elk had this running conversation with God: "Why are you doing this to this to this to us and to me? We're good people. We have we have followed your dictates throughout. They believe they were the chosen ones, and um, and you know." Um, there was um, a lot of give and take, as in Job. So, uh, oh,
1: that's that's fascinating, and and unfortunately, I'm going we're gonna have to leave it there. I mean, it, it, to me, the, the, the message right there, and the last thing it said was, watch out if you think you're the chosen people. We Jews right. have the same thing. That's why we wrote Job.
2: <laughs> you know, it's, that's right. Well, you know, it, it was. I, I know you had to stop, but it was really interesting because, I mean, you know, in the 1870s, when the American, when white America was clashing with the Sioux. These were basically two cultures that were very much the same. They both thought they were God's chosen. I mean, you know, we had manifest destiny. They yeah, had, right. they had swept across the plains just as white America was, and and their victories um, said to them that um, God, God beamed upon them just as our victory said the same to us. And so, you have really two cultures that are the same.
1: Wow, that is fascinating. And we are gonna to have to leave it there. My guest today was Joe Jackson. He's the author of Black Elk, The Life of an American Visionary. You can learn more about Joe's work on his website, joJacksonbooks.com, and read a review of the book in the November, December issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Joe, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations.
2: Thanks a lot, it was fun.
1: Yeah, it was great, thank you. Support for this podcast comes from Inner Engineering program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. The Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.